Welcome, listeners, to the NK News podcast recorded here in Seoul on Friday, the 31st of July, 2020. And today's guest, very special guest, is outgoing managing editor Oliver Hotham. Until two weeks ago, Oliver Hotham was managing editor of NK News and NK Pro. He is now leaving us onto pastures different, but not necessarily greener. Oliver, thanks for joining me on the show today. It's a pleasure. Uh, listeners, I have to say, this is an, we're doing this an unusual way, in an unusual way. Uh, we're drinking Heineken's, and uh, this is a completely unscripted podcast. I do not have a sheet of questions uh, in front of me at all, uh, so it's, it's it's completely. We're going off piste. We're off the leash and on the lash. Yeah. It, are you going to fill this with double entenders, or uh, is that the the goal? I think we'll see how the mood strikes me. Mm. You know, I have been punning a lot this week. Yes, I yeah. I for some reason I've just been, felt inspired. So uh, my colleagues, at least for the my colleagues for the next few days, uh, will have been suffering a li- little bit. But, you know, uh, the the photo that or one of the photos that Jongmin took of you and me at the recent NK Pro breakfast event, mm. and that may actually be a, a, an appropriate photo for this podcast episode. What do you think? Yeah, I think I could work. I'll suggest it. All right, so Oliver, how did you come to work for NK News and how? Uh, when was that? Uh, so, it's quite a long story. Settle in, ladies and gentlemen. Get Settle your own tea if you need one, or a coffee. Um, so, uh, the story goes that back in the day um, when I was but a young um, history student at uh, Queen Mary University of London, I, um, I was studying history, but obviously I've always wanted to work in journalism. Um, ever since I got my first Tintin comic book oh, yeah. as a young uh, a young man. Some people might know that I was born in Belgium and so used to travel to Belgium quite a lot and I went to the, the Tintin Museum in Brussels. Wait, how would the Belgians pronounce that? Tintin Museum? La Musée de Tintin. I want to say, wouldn't it be Tintin or something? I think it is Tintin, yeah. yeah. It's something, something along those lines. Uh, so I always wanted to be a journalist. Um and when I was uh, I was studying history, I was quite interested in um, the Cold War side of things, uh-huh. um, history of communism. Essentially, I'd done a few internships here and there in journalism, but it was primarily political journalism. So I did an internship where I was based in the House of Commons press mm. lobby, which was fascinating, um, but also made me realize that I was more interested in what was going on in uh you know, the Foreign Affairs Select Committee than what was going on in the Prime Minister's questions. Quite. Uh, so I thought, you know, maybe political journalism is less my thing. Maybe international news um, is something I'm more interested in. So uh, I sort of went through my second year of university and I the summer came. I had a job, so I had some money saved up. So I thought, well, I'll try and get an internship in London. I looked around. There wasn't really much that caught my fancy. Um, but then an, an ad came up on a website I used to uh, check for jobs for um, an internship with a website called NK News, mm. which I had been aware of for some reason. I think I was already pretty interested in North Korea. Um, and I think I had actually sent Chad an email asking if he had any internships yeah. and he told me no oh. uh, in, I think, April. So the job came up. I decided to apply. I sent uh, my CV and a cover letter and I met Chad in a cafe in waterloo london next to uh, waterloo station in london okay and, so it's, um, it's a little bit cold war uh, cloak and dagger isn't it It was a little bit and uh was given the internship and i was obviously chuffed to bits and i was imagining myself already um as a sort of hard-hitting news reporter in a, in a busy newsroom filled with other journalists and big screens right. and like five clocks on the wall with different time zones um only to arrive on my first day at nk news um with my fellow intern, Hamish McDonald, huh. um, to discover that the NK News office um, was, in fact, Chad's 
dad's basement in Camberwell, South London. It's a very nice basement, but a basement nonetheless, which Chad had decked out with all sorts of North Korean propaganda and um, North Korean, no doubt, illicitly acquired North Korean booze. And, uh, so it was thematic, at least. Indeed. And uh, yeah, so I just started uh, there. Essentially, at the time, you know, for those uh, listeners who have been following NK News from the very beginning, um, back in those days, it was really a one-man operation uh, run by Chad, essentially working you know, ridiculous hours, um, trying to cover everything that was going on and also getting some scoops. But even, even at that point, when NK News was a one-man blog, We'd already had exclusives that had been featured on CNN and, um, you know, the one about the portraits being removed. It was the uh, oh, Marx and uh, Lenin. Oh, Lenin was it Lenin? Okay, yeah. um, portraits were taken down from Kim Il-sung Square. That was an early NK News exclusive. Mm. And there were other things as well. I think the first look inside the Yugong Hotel. Oh, yeah. So it was already a pretty well-known media outlet and so we started pretty much doing everything i mean i was writing news stories i was running around interviewing people doing editing um taking photos all sorts yeah so i did that for a bit and then i finished university and um because nk news was still pretty small uh chad didn't have any money to pay me Hmm. so i went off to do sort of businessy journalism in fleet street what was the uh elite um rag that you were supposed you're accused by uh, dr dermot hudson of having worked for and the reason you won't come on the podcast because um prior to nk news i did a week on the foreign desk at uh, the sunday times ah sunday times okay so dermot um who i'm sure we can get into later well i'm wondering now that you've you're leaving or yeah perhaps i I can reach out to him once again to come on the podcast i could say well you know oliver that man from the sunday times uh, has left and the doors well indeed they were no longer linked to the uh, reactionary murdoch press um, although our new managing editor, who we'll come to later, I uh, think used to work for a oh no no not a Murdoch owned okay good well VOA oh which, uh, is that worse or or better I don't know I don't know we'll come <laughs> so you've, yeah you've, you've preempted my next question which was did you already have an interest in North Korea yes you did yeah from your history studies indeed I was particularly whenever I was um, you know doing I did a lot at university um, Queen Mary has a lot of great. Uh, historians specializing in um, Eastern European history and things like that. So I got quite into reading about the regime of uh, Enver Hoxha in, the, oh, in Albania. Yes, My personal uh, favorite was always Nicolae Ceausescu in Romania, uh, which I thought was a really fascinating uh, regime. Yeah. And obviously... Nicola and Elena, because there were, there were and a, Elena, a, a, indeed. A, a duo, weren't they? Um, she was the great scientist of the revolution. She was a great scientist. That was her title. Even though she, I think... Her only qualification was like like a GCSE in woodwork or something along those lines. Oh, well, um, it's a science, yeah, indeed. Uh, no, but I got yeah, I got interested in North Korea because uh, I I think I wrote in my second year of university. I wrote a, like a essay about personality cults and things like that, and yeah. I found the the video of Ceausescu visiting Pyongyang. I think it was in 1972. Was there only one? And there were two. There yeah. was one in the early 1970s and one a bit later. And that, that first visit was only, I think Ceausescu had only been in power for about five or six years. Right. But he was he was, uh, he was was transformed by what he saw, wasn't Indeed. He? A lot of Romanians later said, and Communist Party people said that that was the visit that really yeah. changed his whole outlook on how these places could be run. And yeah. previously, Romania had kind of been slightly backwards sort of run along slightly nationalist lines the regime was quite ill-defined but after that visit Ceausescu realized that you can force 
millions of people to worship you and hold up your name in big placards and things like that. And you could also clear out large swathes of the capital uh, for uh, grand architecture and plazas. Precisely. Now, did you hold any prejudices, illusions, or preconceived ideas about North Korea that you had to uh, change or let go of after joining NK News? I think when I first joined NK News, I had a very, I think I I knew quite a lot about the country, but I had a very um, simplistic idea of what it was. I think that was partially informed by having watched things like the Vice Guide to North Korea and having a very, this idea that it really was this nation of sort of automatons. Yes. And obviously I had never been to South Korea either. So I, I didn't really grasp the sort of the nature of the division and the similarities between the two countries. I sort of, a lot of, I think a lot of Brits see South Korea as essentially just a bit a lot like Japan mm. and North Korea as this strange relic where everyone's a robot and everyone just worships the leadership. Yeah, I think that was the big thing. I mean, I didn't really even understand that foreigners could go there regularly, right? Because I got the impression from the Vice documentary that foreigners had to sneak in um, and that sort of nonsense. And then on my first day at NK News, Chad, um, I think, spoke to someone in the travel industry who had been there like last, last weekend yep. and had a bunch of photos. And that was that was slightly mind blowing. When did you first go to North Korea? Oh, it was April two thousand seventeen. Um, when I took the managing editor job, I worked sort of from my flat in London, and then I came here, as in Seoul, in November two thousand sixteen, which is when we first met. Yeah, I think it was when Trump Press was elected. Club? No, it was when oh, Trump, Trump was elected, elected president. Okay. And then I moved here in February the next year and then went to North Korea in April. For the party congress? For the Day of the Sun. Right. Okay. Now, uh, having now worked on uh, reporting on North Korea for seven years, to what extent is Western media responsible for stereotypes and prejudices against North Korea? I mean, if you're, if you're talking about prejudices and stereotypes about North Korea in, say, the Western world, so the U.S. and Britain and Europe, I would say probably 100%, given that's the only source of information you would probably get about North Korea. Is, is it is it fair to say that most reporting on North Korea is superficial at best? Um, I think it's gotten a lot better. To be honest, when I started in 2013, North Korea was not really the top of the news agenda for most of the world media. So, um, you know, North Korea was kind of seen as this sort of tin pot, weird place um, with nuclear weapons, but not really. I seem to remember back in 2013, and for most of like 2010 to maybe 2015, the the focus of the world was really on the Middle East, mm. like what was going on in Syria and the Arab Spring, and Asia. When it was mentioned, was usually much more of a sort of like a curiosity and things like that, right? And I think North Korea always falls into that category because North Korea is the strangest and most isolated of all the Asian countries, you know. News editors will always love a weird Japan story mm. or a weird China story, you know. And I think North Korea fits those categories because it's extremely exotic and extremely unusual. And it's also extremely difficult to verify any information you're getting. I remember there was, you probably remember this as well, Jacko. One of, the, I think back in 2012, do you remember that video that was like a, a North Korean, supposedly a North Korean film about American propaganda? Oh, yes. It, it made by a Serbian New Zealand yeah. uh, film student or, or film director. Yeah. And um, the, it went viral because yeah. obviously it, it said a lot of things that many people thought were accurate about American media. Right. And they said, oh, well, North Korea is saying this. And I, I think anyone who knew anything about North Korea could have watched that video and known that it wasn't 
really from North Korea. And yeah, I thought it had a bit of a sort of an Adam Curtis. Yeah, flavor. it had a very. I mean, unless North Korea's got its own Adam Curtis, yeah. which would be fantastic. Well, yeah, I remember that going viral and just uh, all sorts of things about you know Kim Jong Un eating cheese. I mean, I'm I'm British as well, so most of the coverage of North Korea is uh, on the more tabloidy end of the spectrum. Mm. And less. I mean, even I say that though, but even you know the notorious unicorn story was picked up by the Guardian, which is, in my opinion, the best British newspaper. You know, the one about North Korea How discovered a unicorn. I mean, just to to, uh, to help our listeners here, um, that there is a a mythical Korean creature. I think it, the Korean word, if I remember rightly, is girin, which mm. is also the same word as that which is given to the giraffe. But there is there's a mythical creature which is not the giraffe, but has the same name as the giraffe, the right. girin. Uh, and there was a story in the North Korean uh, press, perhaps KCNA, that they said that they had uh, archaeologists had discovered something that. Um, what it had a rock painting on it or it had a marking on it or it had a text on it which related to the Gideon and then this was then interpreted by the world as uh, North Korea's claim to have found the lair of the of the unicorn right did the Guardian play that straight in that way yeah oh. they said essentially North Korea claims to have discovered a unicorn well the um, lair of a unicorn the, the lair of a unicorn they didn't say they found the unicorn itself they said they discovered the lair of the unicorn I mean either way you know that's one of the more famous stories about misinformation about North Korea right um Actually, that does bring me to the next question. Is that the most ridiculous story that you remember seeing or uh, written or reported about North Korea? Is there worse? That's a good question. I think it depends on what outlet because you know the one in which Chung Song Tech was fed to ravenous pigs or dogs. Dogs. That was very silly because that was also taken on by credible outlets. I mean, British newspapers like this Daily Mirror, the Daily Mail, and the Daily Mirror and the Daily Express, of course. I mean, we'll run with any kind of madness about Kim Jong-un doomsday machine, Kim Jong-un secret tunnels. The classic one is the secret tunnel dug by the North Koreans, which has been discovered by a British tourist visiting the DMZ. Oh, and th- those ones. Yeah, I think uh, the ones that always frustrated me the most was always when government officials in North Korea would be murdered and then reappear alive. Just because, you know, something that's tabloidy and silly like kim jong-un you know his foot explodes because he eats too much cheese is obviously absurd but when you get this sort of media firestorm around a supposedly gruesome purge like jang song tech being eaten by dogs or um hyun son wall being executed for making a porn tape you remember that one one. and then it get gets picked up by credible media um and then just you know hyun so wall i think reappeared six months later completely fine and then came um, to South Korea with, and with then an expensive came to handbag. South Korea and stayed in a nice hotel in Kangwondo. Mm. I think those are the, some of the silliest because it, otherwise credible journalists will completely throw out everything that they learn yeah. and for a snazzy headline and a good scoop. They don't want to be late. They don't want their editors to think that they've missed the story somehow. But the classic rules of journalism is that you should always try and fact check and you, you shouldn't, you know, rely on other people's unnamed sources. And I always find those stories frustrating because... All those things seem to go out the window. You know, one of the things I always liked about working at NK News was that people would say, well, whenever I heard a story like that, I would check NK News. And if NK News hadn't covered it, I knew it wasn't credible. So are you saying that we at NK News have have not fallen victim to such? No, I don't think we have. Great. Um, Certainly not under my watch. Good track record. Mm. Uh, Do you remember the first story that you wrote for NK News that came out under your own byline? 
I think there were two. I think I wrote something about family reunions back in 2013. Mm-hmm. I think it was. I think there were family reunions that year. I can't remember. Were there 2013? You probably know better than me, Jacob. I'd have to pull up a, a, a listing. I think there was something. I wrote something about family reunions. I also did one of my f- favorite first stories I did with Chad was this exhaustive look at relations between North Korea and um these African countries. Oh. We did a story, Chad and I essentially tracked, there were all these reports about um, North Korean officials going to Uganda, um, like Benin, mm. all these other places, Angola, I think it was as well, Mozambique. What would happen inevitably was the North Koreans would come to these countries, make all these sort of dodgy deals. Like there was one story where the North Korean um, Minister of State Security went to Uganda to train, to help train local police on crowd control and things oh, yeah, like that. Oh, yeah, right. And there was a fantastic photo that NK News got from a local reporter of um, a North Korean North Korean minister with a big gun, like grinning his head off with his, with his comrades. But what would inevitably happen with those stories is the North Koreans would come, make a deal, and then the Americans would come around a couple of months later and, you know, try and try and get these African nations offside. But it was... <laughs> I always found it fascinating because... You know, you think on the surface, you know, why on earth are these countries like Uganda doing business with North Korea at such a prior state? But you have to remember that these countries will not see North Korea in that way. They'll see North Korea as old comrades from the Cold War. Right. Kim Il-sung went to great lengths to take arms and, you know, bring arms and, and political support to these types of countries. You know, Ugandan politicians don't don't necessarily always care what the the finger-wagging yankees are going to say about that i'm sure by the way fact check here listeners um the uh there was a uh, round of family reunions uh in february 2014 for five oh, days be it. Yeah. Uh, and the one before that was all the way back in uh november 2010 so i think it was preparations for the the 2014, the 2014 one, one yeah. yeah. But yeah, that was my first story, I think. Has there ever been a story that you regretted or that you think you would do very differently if you could do it again from scratch? That's a good question. Can I have a think? Yeah. yeah. Um, have a sip of Heineken while you're at it. This uh, podcast is not yet sponsored by Heineken, but they do sponsor a lot of things. You know, actually, this is a funny thing. Uh, when I was in North Korea on my first ever trip, uh, well, not counting the Kumgang Sun trip and not counting the walk around the table cheekily to the north side at Panmunjom, mm. uh, but my first trip to Pyongyang, uh, Heineken was the only non-local beer being sold at the hotels at that time. Wow. In, uh, in August 2010. So every hotel we went to, they'd have a local beer and they'd have Heineken. And when you got sick of one, you'd switch to the other. Uh, but when I went back in 2017, I didn't see Heineken anymore. Interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say, I think, you know, with journalism, the the challenge of journalism is that you're, you're, you're dealing with these competing priorities. Right. The first priority is to do everything well and make everything sort of correct and fair and balanced, while at the same time you want to do things as quickly as possible and beat your competition. I would have liked to treat a lot of stuff with more skepticism mm. and had more time to probe and examine things. So I think a lot is said about North Korea, particularly from not just from North Korea, but a, from the think tank and NGO world that is treated as fact mm. when journalists should be much more probing. For example, this might be controversial. A lot, for example, I would say the the UN Commission of Inquiry on Human Rights in North Korea. Yeah, 2014. 2014. I think it was a really important document. 
and it was extremely um it was landmark and very significant but the the way that document was was covered by the press mm. was not as um probing or as skeptical as i think it should have been because i think just on the face of it one of the big recommendations of that report was that kim jong-un should be recommended to the international criminal court that's the opinion of the other report i don't take any position on that because i'm not an expert on international law but the fact that you had that as the primary recommendation mm. but then you had a huge amount of testimony in the report from defectors that had never lived under kim jong-un mm. or defectors who had um for example, experienced terrible, terrible things during the famine period and then subsequently come to South Korea. There was a lot of sourcing like that where the the primary sources did not support the ultimate conclusions. And there should have been much more much more work by journalists to unpack these things. How do we know these types of things? How how can we say that this is true and this is not? I, f- I felt like with that and with a lot of these types of things, there is a fear of, from media to sort of to challenge claims by high-profile defectors or human rights organizations because they feel fear that if they do, they'll be seen as somehow pro-North Korean or right. overly supportive of North or apolog- being apologists for Pyongyang, which, I mean, is ridiculous <laughs> at the end of the day. I don't think, say, challenging a, say, a, a high-profile defector who has repeatedly misstated things or change their story is apologism for Pyongyang. I think it's just what journalists should be doing. I think apologetics is the right Apologetics, there. there you go. Do you apologize um, for that? I do apologize for that. <laughs> so that's my take. I, I think a lot of stuff is said about North Korea, both from um, yeah from this world of NGOs and human rights organizations, but also by governments mm. here in South Korea and the US and that should be treated with much more rigor and skepticism. And it just isn't because of deadlines and the need for snappy headlines. What was the story that as you put the finishing touches on it and put it up on the website, you thought, this is it. We've got the scoop. Oh, probably um, our investigation into OCN. That's not the South Korean cable TV channel. Not the South Korean cable TV channel, the Singaporean um, import-export company um, that was essentially responsible for over a decade, if I remember correctly, for much of the imports of luxury goods into North Korea. We NK News was essentially able to um, expose and subsequently bring down a massive smuggling network mm. based purely on our own hard work and our own sources and open source analysis and all types of things. I thought that was really an astonishing piece of work and something that for an organization that start, that essentially began as just a bunch of whippersnappers trying to you know, challenge the mainstream media, quote unquote, um, I think the fact that we're able to, we went from just a blog to being able to do something like that, on which would be an investigation on par with the Washington Post or Reuters. I think that was really astonishing. It was a great piece of work. I'm sorry that I wasn't doing the podcast back then. I would have had that would have been a good. It would have been, been a great episode. Yeah, yeah. All those notes that couldn't go into the final story. Exactly. There were a lot of those. Now, do you have a a favorite story or series written by one of your colleagues? Well, that one, that OCN one, was um, partially worked on by Chad, at least. Mm-hmm. I think if he would so qualify as a colleague, I think Andre Lankov's column has always been a source of great wisdom for me, at least. Mm. I mean, I've often um, reserved judgment on something until I get my views on what Professor Lankov thinks, just yes. because, you know, um, we're, NK News has been extremely 
privileged and lucky to have someone of his stature and also his rigor and skepticism you know mm. i was just talking about skepticism just now but i think andre is one of the few people that will actually take a step back and say look let's let's get serious about this and let's really understand i think he he one of the things i always appreciate about his work is that there are no sacred cows and you can always challenge something and always think critically i think um some of the early stuff i did as well with peter ward mm. shout out to peter if he's listening about north korea's economy um, about some of the changes that we saw in North Korea's economy under Kim Jong-un really... Um, oh, and talked about contracts and contracts things like that, sales contracts, push supply and demand, price setting. All of that stuff, which sounds very dry, I know, but the idea that actually there were, there were significant and substantial economic reforms mm. undertaken by Kim Jong-un. Just not um, called reforms. Don't, you just don't, don't call, call them reforms, that, yeah. of course, as Andre Abrahamian's book would detail. The fact that these reforms did happen and that people said, well, Kim Jong-un just represented more of the same and that North Korea never changes or shifts. Hmm. Um, I think, yeah, that stuff with Peter, I was very proud of us, of us running as well. And of course, all the fantastic coverage. I mean, uh, it's too much, too many to name, really. But of course, all my colleagues here in Seoul as well. And Don't get all weepy on me <laughs> now, will you? As a managing editor, you had to develop a nose for a good story. Did you get pitches for stories that you had to turn away because of either you know lack of story or lack of evidence? Well, statistics came out today, so I guess that's quite a good example. Often people wanted to write about these these Bank of Korea statistics about the North Korean economy. That's another example of something that's just regurgitated by foreign press without much, mm. you know, rigor. I mean, it's they're just essentially guesstimates. Um, so there would be that. A lot of stuff, when you're uh, doing news editing, a lot of it is sort of, you want to help readers see how the story is developing, right? Yeah. And a lot of pitches I would get would be about the things that weren't really news or, you know, over-interpreting something. You know, Kim Jong-un would say an offhand comment and that would be read as, you know, something enormous. Um, I mean, also little things in South Korea, you know. A lot is said about North Korea and South Korea that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Again, it comes down to skepticism, but... You know, a lawmaker saying he wants to, you know, play table tennis in Pyongyang mm. might be treated as headlines here in South Korea. But right. for our readers, it's just not really, you know, there's a gap between that type of thing and, and reality that you yeah, need to it, keep it, in it, mind. Was there a story ever that, that you rejected for whatever reason and that later turned out to be something big? When the Kim Jong-un health rumors started to emerge oh, just earlier this in year. the year, mm. all of my colleagues... Um, you know, we obviously had to do something on it. But again, it came down to this this thing where you want to have to balance skepticism. But at the same time, the entire world media is talking about this and you can't not weigh in as the number one outlet covering this issue. One of the number one outlets covering this issue. And a lot of my colleagues wanted to do a kind of analysis of, of all the rumors about what was going on and honestly at the time i thought that that was a waste of time and i thought that even giving oxygen to some mm. of the rubbish that was out there was a waste of time um but actually two of my colleagues jake fromer and um min chao choi um wrote a story essentially using their chinese language skills rounding up all of the rumors uh. and all of the all the gossip about it and actually it had, it became a really good story and one of the i think one of the most important things about the kim jong-un health scare story saga saga was it really helped us to sort of understand the the way that a rumor goes from mm. being one little kernel mm -hmm. 
maybe a big kernel from Daly and Kay, which in hindsight there may have been some truth to, into this crazy, just, you know, TMZ saying Kim Jong-un dead. The way that something, as a, as a journalist, it's a, and even someone who's interested in the way that humans spread these mm. types of things, it's an incredible thing to witness. Uh, it was fascinating to watch. The yeah. sort of collective hysteria around that type of thing. So yeah, th- those two did a good job on that. For any young listeners out there who may be thinking of a career in journalism mm. and who perhaps may even aspire to work for NK News one day, what advice can you give, Oliver? I would say there's a lot of uh, people who want to take your money and claim that your that money will help you become a journalist. Mm. In many cases, that is a lot of money. Are you talking about for things like courses? I'm talking about things like courses, journalism schools. Mentorships. Mentorships. Um, and I would say from my experience, you don't need to waste your money on that type of thing. All you need to do to, to do journalism is have smart ideas, writing ability and a phone. And if you want to be a journalist, you can start right away. Uh, actually a phone with a camera probably helps as well. You can start right away finding there is drama and uh, sort of hypocrisy and um, we, you know, what's the word? I'm running out of words. You know, there is sort of drama and hypocrisy and and stuff that journalists can cover pretty much everywhere in your neighborhood, in your school, in your university, wherever. And I think you don't need to spend a lot of money to, to learn how to write about that stuff engagingly if you have tenacity and uh, and the will to, to do it. And if you want to work for NK News, I would say, pitch nk news you know we have editor at nknews.org you can send your pitches to that editor at nknews.org and send your pitch now pitch is simply what a, a brief skeleton of an out an out pretty much we have a guide on our website i can't remember the url mm-hmm. but um it is there okay um so you can pitch to my glorious successor kelly kazoulis but don't write a full story just yet don't write the full uh, that is advice i would say don't write the full story just yet come up with an idea yeah that idea could be an interesting you know um a question you know one of the one of the most popular stories that i ever wrote for nk news mm. was simply a story about what it was like to be gay in north korea ah, yeah. which was a question that i had wondered to myself yeah and i think i interviewed two defectors and some someone from a human rights organization and wrote it up i think in the first couple of months that i was with nk news mm. and it still gets you know mm. just one of these questions that people google um you know, NK News loves stories like that, exploring something like that, or an investigation or an interview with someone interesting. Pitch away. Were you tempted at the time to uh, to be a bit, sort of, you know, London tabloid playful mm. with the headline like uh, DPR gay okay or something like that? My headline was being gay in the DPRK. Okay, that, that is a good rhyme. Pretty good. Yeah. What is it that sets apart NK News and NK Pros reporting on North Korea? What are we doing here that others are not? Or what are we doing better? I think so. I qualified at the beginning by saying I actually think general mainstream media reporting about North Korea is a lot better now than it used to be. And I think that's a product of the fact that North Korea being is now a much more important story than it used to be. So, for example, we had uh, news today that Anna Fifield will be leaving the Washington Post and going to uh, work in in a in a home homeland in New Zealand. Good heavens! Um, I think Anna Fifield and journalists like that, who came into covering North Korea about the same time that I did, obviously 
much more senior in in um, stature and all of that. And before um, her, Barbara Demick. And before Bar- Barbara Demick and and people like that. Mm. Um, James Pearson with Reuters. Those those people really took you know made North Korea, reporting on North Korea um, much much better in the mainstream press and certainly were very uh, solid competition for us. I would say what NK News does, which is different, is that we are 100% focused on the topic in a way that other reporters simply can't be. Because if you're, say, a reporter for a newswire based in Seoul, your job can't just be to study, to look at North Korea, right? Mm. You have to cover you have to cover North Korea, but you also have to cover things coming out of the Chebol and social issues here and politics here, all that type of stuff. And even if you could focus on North Korea for your entire time. Most foreign reporters and bureau chiefs will only do about four years in a position, sometimes right. maybe five, sometimes three. Once they get a real grasp of the topic, they move on somewhere else. NK News doesn't have that issue because we have this institutional expertise on the topic. Mm. I mentioned Andre Lankov earlier. He's been studying the topic for 20 years. Yeah, more. You, know, you Jacko, you've been you know, obsessed with North Korea for many, many well, years. Um, you know, that's what I'm saying. We bring just this kind of um, hive mind of of knowledge, which other outlets just don't have because journalists move on, you know? Mm. Um, well, well, we'll come back to that. Uh, yeah, come back to that. Put a pin on that sentence. Uh, we have a new managing editor now. You've already uh, let the cat out of the bag, Kelly Kasoulis. Kelly is already an experienced journalist who has written for, uh, among others, uh, Bloomberg, I believe. Uh, you've had a period during which you've sort of shown her the ropes mm. here at NK News. What can readers of NK News and NK Pro look forward to under the new regime? I think Kelly was a fantastic choice because she'd already been working with us. Mm. And as you say, she brings a lot of experience. That's right. She was the social media editor there. She was the social, uh, for, for a month or social two media editor here as well. Kelly is much more organized than me. Mm. Those of us, those listening who may have worked with me will know I have a somewhat chaotic style and that that can work well, but sometimes that doesn't always work uh, fantastically. Many people might have, uh, you know, I promised to email them back and then, you know, two months later I've, you know, right. I've completely forgotten. Um, Kelly is much more reliable and mm. organized than me. Um, and hopefully that'll be reflected in her in her work. Now, tell us uh, where you're going next. Speaking of journalists moving on, where are you going and what will you be doing there? Uh, so I am going to work for uh, Agence France Presse, also known as AFP, which is an international newswire um, based. I'm going to be based in Hong Kong, but I won't. I think I will be obviously covering things out of the city, but um the the beat for me is going to be much much bigger it's going to be essentially everything from Kabul to Tokyo and so everything you in between to travel probably not at the moment yeah, well that's right yes. given the situation but yeah. um hopefully yeah I will be I've been telling people the door is not shut on North Korea I think if North Korea does another nuclear test I'll probably have to work on that um but yeah much much broader beat but yeah I'm really looking forward to it uh Hong Kong will be an interesting place to be it's, it sure will. It, it certainly is going through an interesting time right now. Uh, good heavens, I don't even know where to start, so I won't. Uh, Oliver, final thoughts to leave us with? Well, I just want to say thanks to everyone that listened to the podca- listens to the podcast and everyone that reads NK News. You know, the thing throughout my whole time in this job that always made it worthwhile for me was when people would send me a note or a message saying, really love NK News, really enjoyed this article or you know, really appreciate the work that you do. So I would say to anyone listening, you know, if you like something that NK News has done or if you enjoy the podcast, share it, promote it. Yeah. Let NK News know. Team, let them know how much you liked it because 
people always appreciate that. You can write to the podcast at podcast at nknews.org. And uh, in case of uh, journalists, there's an email address at the bottom of each article. Otherwise, you can just send to... Send questions, comments, suggestions, hate mail to editor at nknews.org. I will not be checking it. (laughs) Not anymore. Uh, Oliver, I've brought along my electronic keyboard today to play some uh, slow, wistful, sad music for you to get uh, mournful and maudlin by as you finish your can of Heineken. I've already finished it. Oh, he's already finished it. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you very much for joining us today, Oliver Hoth. We wish you well. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And also consider buying a subscription to nknews.org where you will find the best and most up-to-date specialist journalism on all matters related to North Korea. Our thanks, as always, go to James Fretwell and Chad O'Carroll for facilitating this podcast and to Arius Dare, our post-recording producer genius who cuts out all the extraneous noises such as sipping of beer, awkward silences, bodily functions, etc. Thank you.